I've been thinking about something that a friend said about my work recently, which is that I'm uh, inhabiting hollow or empty forms in the contemporary world and attempting to claim those forms back. And I think a lot of what I do is driven by a desire to reroute the frequencies of voices in the everyday to increase their potency. And what she said about the work made me think about how in the UK we're kind of swamped with history. We're, we're living in an almost obsolescent uh, time that's a conglomeration of lots of pasts. And um, with the advent of cyberspace and an acceleration into virtual realities, I feel like uh, buildings and architecture and monuments are rendered uh, arthritic, that is, they don't have a spine, they're kind of shells that are hollowed out simulations. And uh, I think this advent of cyberspace, which is just different from the internet, or has, has made us feel like we're in a kind of stasis, uh, bringing about a sense of malaise for the present, uh, which has implications on music and politics and the connection between music and politics, uh, which is being undermined slowly. Um, I think part of that is because of technology being used more for the distribution and uh, perhaps selling of music rather than to create music. So it's this kind of combination of, of cynicism and technology um, that has made me think that we're living in a kind of, uh, as Mark Fisher calls it, a capitalist cyberspace. And one way that I start to think about making from within this space is to think about listening as an act that involves the body in different ways and it's something that I think isn't just a sonic experience but it's synesthetic, uh, involves different senses to explore. And um, I've kind of carried this sense through in my approach to putting together this installation in Liltwang Tremor. There's four columns that are kind of in a state of drunken dancing or um, they're kind of flopping around the space in the style of a, an ancient Greek agora. Um, and a lot of my research for this show has been about uh, the ancient Greek cynics and um, kind of thinking about the spaces that they used, which were often public spaces, to kind of conduct their, their, their practice of philosophy. And um, the Agora was a space for speaking in public, but also shopping in public. It was meant to be a free space for citizens to speak freely, but um, often it was just uh, property-owning men who were given a pedestal. 
the columns are very tactile and they refer to this idea of a synesthetic listening experience. Um, I like to have objects in my installations which absorb sound but are also kind of working visually in that there's a disparity between what they are if they're 3D or 2D objects. They're instantly recognisable as Greek-style columns um, and these, uh, I think, are ubiquitous around Scottish cities uh, as there's a real fashion for using them, uh, particularly in Protestant churches or on banks um, around the time of the Enlightenment. And that was a time that really put individual achievements on a pedestal. Uh, and it's something that I see is connected to a, a neoliberal agenda also. So I wanted to try and transform these columns um, from stone into something else. Uh, so they're kind of unreliable objects in a sense. Uh, they're, they're skins of architecture of the past. Um, and they're also covered with mask-like faces that you see, and those are interpreted from a book by Peter Sloterdijk called The Critique of Cynic Reason. And there's a chapter called The Cynic Physiognomy, and it describes different characters, uh, different cynics from the ancient Greek world, but also some character traits associated with contemporary cynicism and is more like a widespread uh, attitude among people. My research for this show was mostly about the cynics in ancient Greece. Um, and the cynics were a kind of unconventional group of phil philosophers who conceived as ethics as a way of being rather than a doctrine. So they were kind of embodying the idea that the body speaks its mind. And part of the way they lived this out was to reject material possessions in a very materialistic society and live outside in the streets, conducting their private business in public, living according to nature, uh, as they put it. So... They were one of the only philosophical schools open to women, uh, provided that women who joined would reject material comforts and live out in the street. And um, there was one philosopher, Hipparchia in particular, who's known about from that time, um, who was from quite an upper-class family and... Um, yeah, she joined the cynic movement by marrying into it. So the faces on the columns, they show different characters. And these are ranging from the ancient cynics. Um, so those characters are kind of like shamelessness, uh, willfulness and cheekiness. So they often have like their tongue stuck out or they're, they're laughing without inhibition. Um... And then there's also contemporary cynics in there who are characters who have shame uh, or they have like a dullness in their eyes and their expression 
because of being exposed to or reading things that they don't agree with, but but tolerating it. So it's quite an academic kind of uh, uh, physiognomy. Um, There's also characters who are distrustful, um, have an inability to say no, and perhaps a more serious expression. And uh, the faces are kind of cartoonish interpretations, really. Um, I made them kind of facile intentionally uh, so that they could be identified easily across contemporary culture. So you see these some of these faces in a lot of children's TV or like comedy shows or even memes. Um, so there's there's like multiple sides, contradictory sides in uh, any one individual persona. And also in the show there's some moving collages. These uh, I kind of make collages a lot in the studio that inform my sound work, so I thought it would be interesting to have those in the in the room with the other work. And they come from a body of research I was making earlier this year where I was collecting pamphlets from estate agents and also doing flat viewings of luxury properties and uh, filming and recording the the estate agent um, as they tried to sell the flats to me. So they're, they're kind of alluding to a sonic space uh, of smooth speech, coercive speech, and they're very absurd and saturated, and uh, I see them as kind of metaphors for unsustainability. And you see there's also a pair of uh, disembodied teeth and some kind of cut-up phrases, bits of text from porn magazines. They're kind of dislocated from their point of origin and then they kind of float in this very absurdist way uh, across the page. The main focus of the installation is is an audio track that's made in part as a collaboration with uh, Donald Hayden who's a reggae musician who I met in London and we've been collaborating on and off for the past year Um, and this track started with an idea that I had to insert subversive lyrics into a sweet sounding pop song so this is something that I've been playing with for a couple of years now where I kind of um, in previous works I kind of speak over uh, samples of um, pop music from 80s, 90s and um, kind of overlay music with uh, maybe slightly darker um, contradictory lyrics I always have music um on whilst I'm working and I always think about how much it's influencing the work that I'm doing and I've been thinking a lot about um, something that the philosopher Nina Power says about the low level emergency of voices in pop music and that we're constantly operating in an atmosphere of low level emergency whilst we're travelling around the city 
so we're kind of always overlaid by these smooth, sweet, maybe auto-tuned voices of anxiety. And um, the title of this piece, Searchlights, um, refers to a book by Chris Krauss called Torpor, where she speaks about wanting to find a place in the world for the female voice. So she's in one chapter, she's accidentally locked in an apartment by her partner and her character, Sylvie Green, finds a Lydia Lunchalpie. And there's a quote here. The seal's already cracked. She takes it out and plays it. The second song on the first side of the record grabs her violently. It's a cover of an old pop radio song. Smashed to pieces, re-inhabited. No question, everything in Sylvie's present life was fucked. But when she played the song that afternoon in the mid-1980s, she found it possible to move outside herself to something else. Everything is in the voice, thought Sylvie. Lydia's voice moved around the room, from the record player like a searchlight. The voice tells you everything it has discovered, and then the voice gets hard enough to let you know that these discoveries don't really matter. And thinking about a searchlight, it seemed natural to have the voices travelling around the listener, uh, sometimes jumping between speakers and moving in and out of earshot to create a kind of disorientating experience and encourage movement around the works in the exhibition and also kind of think about how the body's involved with the act of listening. I was kind of interested in spontaneous moments of sound and image coming together through the combination of each individual work um, and I tried to create an environment that you can tune into at different moments as you walk through the whole show uh, so there's a bit of bleed from the audio through the rest of the gallery um, and in that passage in Torpor um, the character of Sylvie listens to Lydia Lunch 40 times on repeat and I was thinking about the way that the track loops in the gallery and how the repetition of a song can change the resonance of the voice the more you listen. So the track itself is about 14 minutes long and it's got two sections. And the first part is a drum pattern that's made of short loops. And um, the drums kind of allude to a rhythm of a contemporary workplace, uh, like an office or an administrative environment. And then you hear this voice that sounds a bit like a virtual secretary or a voice tannoy in a supermarket that quotes from, it reads quotes from Hipparchia the Cynic. So this part came together really in reference to the writing of Nina Power uh, when she talks about her desire to hear automated voices uh, themselves go on strike. I was thinking about how it would be to hear a female voice in a public space, calmly telling people it refuses to work or that it prefers to focus its time on its education, and kind of subvert how usually these disembodied, automated voices are constantly labouring away in the background. Um, the second part of the audio is 
a kind of duet where a male and female voice echo each other, relating elements of a contemporary cynic condition and singing lines spoken by historical characters, which reverberate between disparate places and times. And the voices echo each other, but they also run parallel. At times they're heard in unison. Both voices have a certain nonchalance to them, which is broken at the beginning and the end of the track by the male voice, which is Donald's voice, calling on the listener to wake up and harness the power of the voice. So they kind of, the track, the second part of the track is really, there's a, the nonchalance is a kind of um, refusal. I think it's a kind of refusal to perform, but then it kind of flips between this nonchalance as a refusal into uh, being possessed by a voice, um, being possessed by a character. And I've been thinking about the the possibility or the potential of, of the voice as a medium to trigger a spiritual experience which would be a chance to move outside your own body into another place and time. I think this was really brought about with Don's voice and I think this refers to the passage in Torpor where Sylvie has a similar experience when listening to Lydia Lunch where she says that she's able to temporarily leave, leave her body and her quite desperate situation. It's also important that the song that allows her to do this is actually a cover of a familiar song that's re-inhabited and transformed into something else. And I think that passage, it's really, um, that's the spirit of the, of what I was trying to do with this audio track and with the installation in general. <laughs> 